This presentation is on child maltreatment. And here, um, for our objectives for this presentation, we're going to talk about um, some of your signs and symptoms and treatment plans for children that have emotional, psychological maltreatment, factitious disorder, neglect, physical abuse, and sexual abuse. So in the United States, there were 4.1 million referrals for suspected maltreatment and 7.4 million investigations. And then here's a nice breakdown of the different types of child maltreatment that, are, that, are, that were reported. So 74.8% were neglect. Then next comes in physical abuse at 18% and then sexual abuse all the way down to uh, medical neglect at around 2.1%. And then there was this other category that they measured at 6.9%. Now, taking this all into consideration, they feel that these numbers are severely underrepresented. So there may be more forms of abuse that are occurring that just haven't been reported or haven't been brought to either a healthcare provider or someone that could report it. We know that females are victimized more than males. Um, when we break it down by ethnic groups, Caucasians make up about the almost half, 44.9%. Uh, African-American population is at 207 and your Hispanic group is at 22%. Um, we know that um, most of these kids are under the age of three. Um, majority of them are abused by their caregivers. Um, and then a big chunk of these um, cases are from neglect or some form of neglect. We'll start off talking a little bit about human trafficking, and this has become a very hot topic, especially over the last five or more years. I would say probably five to last five to ten years, and we know that worldwide it, it is a huge money making revenue um, with human trafficking of, of over one hundred and fifty billion dollars, um, and we know globally there's about forty million victims um, that are affected, and you know this this human trafficking. Um, affects a multitude of different uh, types of children or, or patients. And, you know, it's those children that are abused, children with disabilities, those in lower socioeconomic classes, um, those that either have or will be led to drug abuse. And then, of course, the LGBTQ community um, is also vulnerable. In fact, now there's even an ICD-10 code for human trafficking. Our approach for maltreatment for the pediatric patient um, we are mandated reporters, so if we suspect or see something that's suspicious or we're concerned with, um, we, we have to report those. Um, there are multitude of hotlines. Oftentimes, every institution has some pathway to report. Um, either you're contacting a social worker or you have a child protective team or there's some type of in-house team that, that services these types of um, complaints or concerns. Um, to help uh, appropriately go through what we need to go through to make sure that, number one, that we're correct with our assessment, and then number two, that we're treating the patient the way they need to be treated. Um, they do offer immunity from prosecution um, in cases that you reported in good faith, um, but there are punishments for failing to report, and this could be anywhere from fines or even jail time. Our, our approach, again, starts with presentation of the healthcare needs. Um, we're going to get a good history on these patients. Oftentimes, as healthcare providers, we're getting um, the story from the family or from the patient, and certain things don't add up. So it is our duty to go in and do a further and detailed 
history on the patient to find out where some of these things are. Um, if there are concerns, like I mentioned earlier, you want to get your child protective team involved early on. Um, even if they come in and say, hey, we don't think there's anything wrong here, at least you've done your due diligence to have a, a specialist team come in to evaluate the situation. Of course, you want to treat any life-threatening conditions. You want to do that first. Again, your ABCs take priority. And then that history, you want to sometimes, you definitely want to take the history um, by the caregiver, but then also do a separate interview with the child um, if the child is able to give you that information. You want to look at the mechanisms of injury. You want to look at the reports given to you by the caregivers or those involved. And then you want to look at the patient's underlying condition to make sure everything matches up. And if it doesn't match up, then that's when the investigation really starts to take off. You want to do a complete physical exam from head to toe. You want to get any photographs. And again, some child protective teams have a protocol on how they go about taking photos. Um, if there's concern for physical abuse or sexual abuse, specifically with spe uh, sexual abuse, you may need to get the SANE nurse involved and have them come in and do their exam, as well as collect evidence and forensic information um, that might be required in court. Um, and oftentimes, if there is a significant case, you may be required to uh, appear in court um, to testify on what you've seen and what you treated um, while the patient was in the hospital. For our emotional and psychological maltreatment, often this exists with other forms of abuse. So you may have a physical abuse or sexual abuse, um, but this is where the child is being, um, the, the parents or the caregiver fails to provide nurture, love, emotional support. And oftentimes they humiliate, bully, ridicule, terrorize, or even isolate the patient. Um, so for these patients, you want to collect a very good detailed history. You want to do a good physical exam. Um, there are several screening tools that are available to you, and I listed a few of them here, which we also have in the textbook. Um, these patients or the, their caregivers may often have poor adherence to medical advice, um, specifically when we're talking about immunizations. Um, you may even find evidence of isolation or where they've been isolating the child. And sometimes these children's Sometimes these children have uh, behavioral issues that are being addressed either in school or, or even in the, in the clinic. Um, you can also find these kids having other medical diagnoses such as eating disorders, sleeping disturbance, anxiety, depression, failure to thrive. Um, when you're doing your exam, you may even see that they have untreated dental caries or other forms of neglect. Your factitious disorder, um, which used to be known as Munchausen syndrome by proxy, this is where the parents are inducing or causing the patient to be sick. So you might have an otherwise healthy child, but there is a parent or a caregiver that is doing things to a patient to make them sick to be presented to the hospital. And this could be anything from adding um, uh, toxins to their food or hurting them, or doing things that just basically bring attention to the caregiver and to the child. Um, and some of the symptoms that we could see can be, again, a wide variety, anything from bleeding, seizures, pain, nausea, vomiting, fevers, rashes. Um, these parents often have um, this desire to seek treatment from multiple different providers. Um, this will definitely require you to get your CPT team involved and maybe even other interprofessionals um, to help you make a diagnosis. The diagnosis on this is very difficult. 
Um, some institutions will have certain rooms that have the ability to video record. Um, where I worked in Orlando and even here in Gainesville, we have a couple of rooms that they have for um, seizure monitoring, or they may have cameras in there to monitor the patients, um, in which case they could have those recorders on and they can, you make the diagnosis when you physically or can visually see the caregiver or parent doing something to the child, which will help you make your diagnosis. Neglect. Um, this is where basic definition of this is where the caregiver fails to provide the child with basic needs. And this can be anything from a home to food, water, clothing, um, keeping them clean. Um, oftentimes families that fall into that so lower socioeconomic status, um, lower education, unemployment, uh, homelessness, um, they are at, are at risk. And these patients usually present with an inconsistent basic needs, such as, you know, they're living in a car, um, they don't have food, or their, their, their diet could be um, not a nutritional diet for a child, um, or it could be lack of diet. They can have poor hygiene, poor dental care. Um, these children sometimes have poor school performance. And again, that could be from a multitude of reasons. One, um, from being picked on by other children, or two, they're not getting good sleep because they're sleeping in a car or they're sleeping out on the streets. Um, they can have emotional and developmental neglect. Um, and the way we treat these is to try to help support the patient and the family. Um, so this is where you would want to get your social worker involved. If there's um, local community resources um, that we can get them housing or maybe even get them uh, put on um, public assistance for food um, and shelter um, to try to help these parents out. Uh, physical abuse, the book has some excellent pictures of different forms of physical abuse. I've only included a few here on the slides, um, but please take a look. You're going to read through the chapter anyway, so take a look at all the different images that are there to see some of the various different um, concerns that we have with physical and sexual abuse. So first we'll talk about bruises and lacerations. And again, the mechanism of injury may not be consistent with the wounds that we're seeing um, or their explanation of how the wounds were there. Um, we know that bruising over soft tissue areas such as the face, neck, hands, trunk, and buttocks, especially the genitalia and the feet, um, typically would not have bruise marks on them um, unless there's a significant injury to them or you have concern um, for abuse. We know that belts can leave parallel or, or what they call parallel lineal injuries. And as you can see in the image here, this is a child that took a belt mark across the face. Um, but also be aware of normal birthmarks or normal traditions that may come across as child abuse. And I'll give you two examples that the book um, clearly points out. Mongolian spots are normal um, bluish type of um, birthmarks that we see on children, especially in the lower uh, back area to the buttocks. And then coining is used in some um, cultures to help uh, treat illness or to help prevent illness. And this is where they would um, use um, coins to rub on a, on a child's chest. So be aware of, of traditional methods, either whether it be uh, Eastern medicine or other types of home remedies that may have come across as um, abuse. 
We just, um, in the previous week, we just looked, or yeah, we just looked at burns. So I'm not going to go into too great a detail. Um, but again, with, with physical abuse, you want to look to see, again, the mechanism of injury, the story that the caregiver is providing, and does it all match up? We know that for, for physical abuse, scalding burns are the most common. Um, usually there's some type of trigger event. The child either soiled themselves or they're crying, they're upset. And that's when, you know, the, the caregiver reacts and hurts the child. Um, so again, you want to get careful history on these patients. You want to look to see, you know, what areas are burned. Does it make sense? Is there like, um, does it look like they were dipped in hot water where you have clear line delineation of where the scald burn is compared to the healthy tissue, um, such as in submersion burns? Um, was this a contact burn? Did they get burned with a hot object like a cigarette or an iron? Those kind of things. You want to look to see um, what evidence you have um, to determine if this was a true um, accident or if this was inflicted. Um, human bites is another um, type, of, type of soft tissue injury that we tend to see. Um, typically, you'll see this in the upper extremities, uh, sometimes around the hands and the upper arms. Um, and, and again, this is a nice picture taken directly from your textbook that shows a series of bruises and, 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 and abrasions that can happen to the skin. When we look at abusive head trauma, again, last week, you just talked about um, traumatic brain injury. Um, these patients have had some type of abusive head trauma, whether either they were hit in the head, they were shaken, they were dropped, thrown to the floor. Um, you... Typically, we'll see an altered mental status in these children. They can present with a variety of different injuries, um, but the severe ones will have respiratory failure, seizures. They can have uh, periods of apnea. When we evaluate these kids, when we look for retinal hemorrhages, you can see up to 60 to 85% of children with abusive head trauma um, will have retinal hemorrhages. And typically, you don't see this unless there's a large... Um, uh, coup, contra coup type of injury or an acceleration, deceleration type of injury um, significant enough to rupture the tiny vessels in someone's eye. Sexual abuse, um, again, for just some of the numbers, there were 57,000 reported cases according to the textbook. Um, again, they feel these numbers are grossly underreported. Well, the, the literature states that there's one in five females are affected, one in 20 males are affected, and we know that the, the most vulnerable group are ages 7 to 13. And these patients can come in with a variety of different type of presentations from uh, tra direct trauma to the anal or genitalia. Um, they can have discharge, bleeding, pain, lesions. Um, they can have um, sexualized behaviors, um, mental health issues. They can also be vulnerable to re-victimization. The caregiver can, can leave one relationship and go into another. Um, again, you're going to want to get an excellent history on these patients. Um, looking at their psychosocial status, you want to get good parental information, the child and familial um, information. Um, these children are at risk for developing sexually transmitted diseases or sexually transmitted infections. Um, for your Females of childbearing age, they can become pregnant. Um, we do definitely want to screen these patients. You want to report any suspicion to the child protective team. And for depending on um, the type of um, 
infections they have, you're going to want to notify or get your um, infectious disease team involved. So for your sexually transmitted infections, I listed a few um, dosing med, uh, regimens here for like your adolescence. For chlamydia, we have azithromycin, one gram PO, and it's just a one-time dose. For gonorrhea, you're going to give them 250 milligrams IM of ceftriaxone, and you're also going to give them a dose of azithromycin, one gram um, orally. And then for trichomonas, you can treat them with um, flagell, two grams PO once. And then for your patients that you suspect or there's now a concern for um, HIV, we're going to want to make sure we're going to put them on triple drug regimen. And it's crucial that you involve your um, infectious disease team here to make sure that you're giving them the most accurate and appropriate um, medications for that patient. And then again, you're going to report all your, you know, report your diagnostic findings um, to your CPT team as well. And this concludes um, the lecture on child maltreatment.